We literally have a computer called the brain in our heads that is constantly talking about us, what it all means about us. So our brain just wants to know what's going to happen. And it does that because that's how it's evolved. Our mind just assigns meaning to something that happened and it grabs onto these thoughts because they look like they're going to be helpful. But before we know it, that thing that was protection is now limiting. You're just showing up in the moment, following the next common sense thing to do. I think that's how we're designed to live. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Okay, friends, I am back today with a crowd favorite. Amy Johnson is truly one of the most extraordinary souls that I have ever met. Her work has had a profound impact on my own life ever since I read the little book of Big Change. So when she told me about her new book, I was just so, so excited to read it and have her on the show. And the book ended up being everything I could want and more. If you struggle with all of those thoughts in your head and a healthy perspective on your perspective on life, this is the episode for you. And you definitely, definitely want to get her book, Just a Thought. Also, Amy is actually doing a six-week live book club for the book. You'll be able to completely immerse yourself in the book with some like-minded people. That begins October 18th. Super excited for that. And the link to join that so she will know that I sent you is melanieavalon.com slash change. So I definitely cannot recommend that enough. A lot of listeners took her online course, The Little School of Big Change in the past after hearing my first episode with her and I got amazing feedback on that. So I'm sure this live book club will be just as epic. Again, the link for that is melanieavalon.com change. And then the show notes for this episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash just a thought. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. And there will be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. And then there will be a signed book giveaway. Yes, you can win a signed copy of Amy's book. That will be on my Instagram. So check out the post announcing this episode to enter to win that. Also, you will just comment something you learned or something that resonated with you. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person, and I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon Official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it, so please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. 
Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you're currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experienced the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body, so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, it may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque. It can help alleviate pain and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON, as well as a 20% off code when you text AVALONX to 877-861-8318. That's AVALONX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys if you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now. Before we change to subscriptions, you can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. 
Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up. And just endocrine disruptors in general, which with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all Beauty Counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall 20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash cleanbeauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences, and I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a Band of Beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful, beautiful conversation with Amy Johnson. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I'm about to have. I've been looking forward to it for such a long time and it is with a repeat guest. That's how you know it's somebody really, really incredible, really amazing. So I am here today with Amy Johnson. She is the author of a book that I originally brought her onto the show for, which was The Little Book of Big Change, The No Willpower Approach to Breaking Any Habit. And for listeners, I will put a link in the show notes to that episode. It was so incredible. I actually released that. I don't know if I if you remember this, Amy, but I released it as like the first episode of the new year because I thought it was just the perfect way to start the new year. I mean, because habit creation and all of that is such a, a part of starting the new year. But Amy has a new book that we have her on today. It is Just a Thought, A No Willpower Approach to Overcome Self-Doubt and Make Peace with Your Mind. And friends, so right now the book is not out yet, but Amy sent me a copy and Oh my goodness. It was so incredible. It it was one of those instances where 
I was learning so much and it was so eye-opening. And I just, I, I seriously just want everybody to read this book. And I, I would like text my friends and I'd be like, you have to read this book. It's not out yet, but once it comes out, you've got to read it. But it really just dives so deep into something that I talk about a lot on this show, which is really the role of our mind, our thoughts, our experience, and how that affects our personal experience and our personal peace. And I know people often turn to a lot of biohacking modalities to work with that. And I've, I've had things on the show for that. So meditation devices, stress relieving devices, so many different things people try to make peace with their mind. But this really just goes beyond all of that in providing true insight of just what is happening with our minds. And that probably sounds a little vague. We can dive really deep into everything. But Amy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm really honored to be a repeat guest. I I know having my own podcast, what that's like. It's like there probably aren't many repeat guests, not too many anyway. So I'm honored. There are not. Yeah. So you understand, fellow podcaster. So for listeners who are not familiar with your work, a little bit about Amy. She is a PhD. She's a psychologist, a coach, an author, and a speaker. I already mentioned her book, The Little Book of Big Change. She also has another book that she wrote before that called Being Human. She's been all over the place, The Steve Harvey Show, Oprah.com. She's been in The Wall Street Journal and Self Magazine and all the places. And there is very, very good reason for for that. Again, definitely check out the first episode we did. But to start this episode off, for listeners who aren't familiar with your work, I would love to hear a little bit about your personal story of your own struggles and challenges that you went through with you know, your emotional health and panic attacks and worries and ruminations and what led to where you are today and ultimately writing your new book. I definitely felt like and was called an anxious kid, just was around a lot of worry. And then I learned how to do it myself. (laughs) I said, oh, I can do that. And so I just started making up stuff in my own head and worrying about it and thinking it was real. You know, I mean, I, I kind of make a joke about it, but obviously it's, it's hard to live that way. And especially as a kid, when you have absolutely no idea that what you're thinking and what other people are worrying about isn't the truth. It, when you hear, when you see adults around you worried and then your mind starts going there, it all feels very real, I think at any age. But so, yeah, so I kind of just felt like I was in my head a lot as a kid and as a young adult and life felt very hard. It looked to me like I needed to figure it out. I was kind of type A and pretty hardworking. So I sort of just felt like, okay, well, life is hard. And I definitely have some strikes against me in some different areas, but I'm not going to let that get me down. Like I'll beat this. And so for better or worse, that was sort of my slant on life was like, I'm going to do everything I can to make myself happy and make sure that I have a nice life and that I'm successful and all the, all the stuff. And that, you know, I think for anyone listening who's, who's can relate to that, it gets exhausting very quickly. And it, it kind of is the definition of anxiety, I think, for me, because you're running around in the world or even in your inner world, trying to make everything a certain way so that you can be okay. And I think at the exact same time that we're doing all that, we all deeply know that we're not in charge of all that. 
you know, we can try to have all the right accomplishments and outside stuff and all the right thoughts and feelings and health and just have everything in line. But we know we're not in charge of it. And if our peace of mind or our sense of security is based on that, it's it's hard. It's exhausting and it's ultimately not working. So that was kind of what I did for a long time. And I think it all, I was feeling it the whole way through, but it really came to a head kind of in my early 20s when I struggled with a lot of severe anxiety, a lot of panic attacks, and was afraid to leave my house for my apartment for the better part of a couple years. And my life got very small. And somehow I, I started to wake up from this fog of panic and anxiety. I had some therapy that was helpful and I don't even know exactly, but it started to look different. And, and so I thought, oh, great, anxiety's behind me. But then I found myself in an eating disorder. And now I see, which we can talk about, that those really weren't two separate things. They were the same anxiety, just showing up and being coped with in a different way. But I basically, yeah, would just kind of swap issues. And it felt like a, I'd hit one thing down and another thing would pop up until about 10 or 11 years ago now when I came across what I write about and share now. And it was the only thing that really felt like it clicked and made sense and went deep enough to, to actually lead to lasting change when nothing else had. Oh my goodness. So much that I relate to, and I'm sure a lot of listeners, I mean, I as well, I am type A. Well, we can talk about the role of labels, but <laughs> but I always feel like I'm driven by anxiety and, and these restless thoughts. And one of the questions I often have about anxiety, because you were talking about how it's searching to be safe or to be secure. What is the difference between preparation for life and anxiety? Like, can we prepare for life and have maybe the same thoughts and the same mental practices of preparing for things without having the worrying and the anxiety? Like what makes it anxiety? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I actually think they're two completely different things. You know, we prepare for life the same way we might prepare for anything. Like you just, or let's just say that it's possible to do that. It's in, in theory, it's like we can do what we need to do to show up in life, to prepare, to be responsible adults. The same way we just showed up for this podcast, like, oh, okay, my little chime's coming on saying it's time to log in. Let's just do that. <laughs> it didn't require a ton of overthinking, a ton of, oh my gosh, what if it doesn't work? Like what, what could go wrong? It, it was just kind of, I mean, for me anyway, it was just kind of, kind of like, okay, here's what I do. You're just showing up in life in the moment letting life live you, following the next common sense thing to do. I think that's how we're designed to live. That's how, that's what we're created. Like we're created in order to be able to just live that way. And that gives us all the preparation we need. We don't need to prepare for something out there that might happen or even that is going to happen because we're just just here right now in life full of common sense and new thoughts and new ideas that kind of just move us along the way. But we've kind of lost sight of that. No one really tells us that. <laughs> We're told it's serious, it's hard, you know, think about it, prepare. And so what we call, you know, when preparation feels like anxiety or worry or something like that, I would say that's not preparation at all. That has nothing to do with actual preparation. 
it's anxiety. It's a busy mind. And our mind might be saying, oh no, what's going to happen? I need to prepare. I need to get it all right. But that conversation has nothing to do with actual preparation. That's just a busy mind, an anxious mind. I hadn't really thought about that before, but literally everything that is about to happen or could happen, we could have anxiety about it and worry and rumination, or we could not. Like literally, <laughs> literally every single thing. So it's so interesting to think about, you know, why are some things we get more anxious about or focus on and other things that we don't. But I guess to paint a broad picture, because you mentioned before that you came to this understanding that really helped you break free from your feelings of anxiety. What is this insight about the mind and thoughts and what's the revelation? I'll say it one way, just kind of broad picture, like you said, and then and then just keep in mind everyone listening. We'll be talking about it in different ways throughout, I'm sure. But I guess essentially, I mean, it's this idea that like we were talking about in the preparation conversation, that life lives us, that if you, you know, look at a little kid, like they just move through life. They're they're moved by something. Ideas and hunches and preferences and and desires just kind of well up within them. They just show up from who the heck knows where. And the kid just acts on them. There isn't a lot of overthinking necessary. There isn't a lot of preparation necessary. They're they're just moved and they're just in life. And that's what I think a lot of us adults call like being present or something like that. So, and which is just another concept, but we're made for that. Like we, we can just show up and, and things show up in our heads and our bodies move and, and so much is done through us and for us. And somewhat separately from that, not really, but for the sake of our conversation, somewhat separately from that, we all have this, what I call in the book, a narrator, this little narrator in our head, which is our mind, which is just constantly talking, constantly narrating life, telling us what's what, telling us what we should do, talking about the past, talking about the future, most of all talking about us, everything in our head revolves around us, not because we're selfish, not because we're egotistical, but because we literally have a computer called a brain in our heads that is constantly talking about us and telling us how everything that's happening out in the world and everything we feel, what it all means about us and how it all revolves around us. And this isn't a problem. Like our our brain does this. This is just part of how it keeps us alive or how it thinks it's keeping us alive, how it thinks it's keeping us safe and all kind of evolutionary stuff that we can touch on. But it's just a brain doing what a brain does. You know, we're the center of our own universe. And so you kind of have on the one hand, like life's just living us, everything's okay. And then you have on the other hand, this, this mind, this computer in our heads, our brain, that's nonstop talking and judging and evaluating and making everything about us. And basically we kind of grow up and we just start listening to the narrator a lot to the fact, to the point that we think that that voice is us. You know, we get so identified with every thought, every feeling, every judgment, every opinion, and every single one of us, we kind of lose sight of the fact that that's, that's just a repetitive voice in our heads. You know, that is not necessarily helping us in life. It's not, we don't need to listen to it. It's not telling us the truth. I think 
I'm sure most of your listeners, and I think most people have some sense of that, but I don't know that we really see how big that is, you know, that we, that we kind of come to see how that mind talks and then also see how little, how redundant it is, how little it's really needed. We don't need to rely upon it because we're lived by something else. So in a sense, I mean, that's kind of it in a nutshell. And again, I can answer that question a million different ways, but that's sort of where I went in writing this book, just a thought. It's like knowing that when we just let life live us more, wow, I mean, everything gets easier. So many things change and open up and it's just a totally different experience when when we're a little more grounded in what's there beyond our chatty, repetitive mind. But it's very, very hard to feel that when our chatty, repetitive mind feels like it's helping us, when it feels like we need it to prepare for life or we need it because it's telling us the truth. So that's why I think it's so important to see how that mind works so we can see, oh, that's just, that's just a brain doing what a brain does. I don't need to listen to that so much then we just naturally don't listen quite so much. And, and we have a really, really different experience that way. There are a few things that you say, you say them repetitively throughout the book and, and you make a comment about, you know, the importance of hearing things a lot and hearing them like slightly different so that, that we, you know, take it to heart. But one of the things you say is, you know, that's just what minds do. And I've found that phrase so helpful now as I've like worked on noticing in my own mind, all of these stories and narratives that you you point out, because for listeners in the book, Amy goes through like very specific examples of all the different things that our minds do and thoughts that our minds have. And I'm sure most people will identify with most of them. So not only is it helpful to just realize those, but I've been able to, like when I do experience that my brain or my mind is having this thought you know, saying, oh, well, that's just what minds do. It really softens the effect because I think it can be hard to, when you become aware that your mind is doing this, like, how do you en- engage with that? Because it can be scary. So like, if you if you see that your mind is thinking certain things that you realize are, you know, may or may not be a reality, <laughs> like, like, how do you engage with it as far as that's just what minds do? It's less about even how we engage with it than it is about just seeing how this works. So, so look at like a surgeon, for example, a surgeon has a deep understanding. Hopefully your surgeon has a deep understanding of biology. This person knows exactly, we hope what's going on in there, how it all works. I mean, like a really deep, thorough understanding of biology. So if a doctor is going to cut into you and do some stuff inside your body, they have to know things like, how do I make the incision? And where do I move this organ when I go to the organ behind it and do something to it and all that kind of stuff, right? So there's like maybe a how and a step-by-step to surgery, but that's the easy part. I mean, that part's no problem. What's going to give you a successful outcome is if your surgeon has a very deep understanding of biology. Part of understanding biology is going to help them see how they make the incision and what they do once they're in there. That's all. The hows are all going to be natural from, or for the most part, from their deep understanding of how a human body works physically. So it's the same with us. Like it's the same with our mind. The way we relate 
to our own thoughts and our own feelings. It's just a reflection of what we understand about it. And this is where, you know, this is where I think everybody in the world for the most part kind of has this backwards. Like we've, we've just been conditioned in a backward sort of way where everyone's out there sort of with their minds leading saying from a mind perspective saying, what do I do? How do I relate? What should I do when this happens? And of course we are, of course we are, but that's because we don't understand it. When we, when we really kind of come to see how a mind talks all the time, how it says the same, everybody's mind works the same way. It says the same stuff. All minds worry, all minds compare, all minds are constantly trying to problem solve. All minds are always creating identities that we call us, you know, and, and passing them off as true and solid. When we kind of have a sense of what all minds do, then the way you relate to it just naturally changes. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. One of the biggest, well, mind blown moments I had when I was reading your book, it relates to what you were just saying about life living us. And you talk about how when we wake up in the morning and hear the alarm clock or like oftentimes we'll say in our our mind will say like time to get up. You question like, do we get up because our mind said to get up or were we getting up and our mind is commenting that we were getting up? And, and basically this idea that like we think we're deciding to do all of these things and then we do it, but maybe we do it and then our mind is commenting on all of it. And I mean, that is I mean, that's like mind blown moment <laughs> that, that, you know, that our thoughts aren't actually driving anything. Yes. That's huge, isn't it? I mean, because think about it. If we, 
if we think that our mind is telling us what to do and that it's the source of all of this wisdom and inspiration, what choice do we have but to tune into it a lot? Like, of course, we'd be crazy not to. If we think that our mind ruminating or worrying, you know, I hear this from people all the time. Well, well, worry has some protective value, right? You know, rumination has some positive stuff, right? If we think that, if we believe that, of course, we're going to be really caught up in rumination and worry. We'd be crazy not to be. But to your point, what if it's not that way? Like truly, what if we are lived, we, we just see things to do on a level that's beyond our conscious knowing. We, we find ourselves doing things. I mean, don't we? Like if you have to go to the bathroom, you find yourself walking to the bathroom. You don't have to think, okay, right foot in front of left, walk into bathroom, turn the light on. Like it just happens. And I know a lot of things in life don't feel like going to the bathroom, but if we really look, it's a really mind-blowing thing to to consider. Like what if even big decisions, even stuff with our work and and big choices that it feels like we're making, aren't we really just kind of responding to what shows up within us? Like we don't put our own thoughts there. It's a great thing. I sometimes I'm I'm careful about going there too much because I think it can be a little unsettling sometimes for people if this is a brand new idea to them. People love the idea of control. And it's not even that people love the idea, like brains love the idea of control and people have brains. So your brain is going to say, uh-uh, I am doing this. I am in charge. I'm making my, cho- my own choices. I have my own free will. And that I know that that can really feel like a lot of comfort. So just people listening, just kind of consider like, what if you're already up in the morning and then your brain says, time to get up. <laughs> you know, what if you're already putting, I, this is the one I notice all the time. I'm already reaching for my sweater and my mind says, oh, it's cold in here. No, I didn't need to just say that to myself. I have the sweater in my hand. Something in me knows it's cold. Yet we have a mind that just loves to talk about everything and almost pretend like it's in charge of everything, which is great as long as we know that that's what's going on. If we don't realize that and we think our mind really is in charge, that's that's where we get into more trouble. It's really fascinating. And I remember actually while I was reading the book, I think it might have been literally the night after I read that whole section. The next day I had I had a podcast recording and I needed to be so I always like do my last minute prepping right before the show. Like everything is like very timed out for my preparation time and all of that. <laughs> So my, my toilet overflowed that morning. Listeners know I have digestive issues. Like I have to have my toilet. So basically, I mean, it was a mess. Like it was like, it was just a mess. I needed to be prepping for the show. It was just the worst situation to be in. And I had this epiphany from reading your book about like the life living us and things happening. And we think we're controlling it, but we're not. It's like, I stepped back and I was like, all of this is happening and it's all going to resolve and I'm really not controlling any of that. Like, I know that tomorrow this will all be over. And in a way, it doesn't even matter my stress or rumination or trying to control the situation. Like, literally, the situation will resolve itself. So am I resolving the situation or is it going to resolve itself <laughs> regardless? I don't know if that's too esoteric, but it was very freeing. 
for getting through it. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's not to say that you don't do things. I mean, it's not like you're just saying, okay, well, this will all get prepped and cleaned up all by itself. It's that the next thought that you need will show up. The next action to take will show up. You know, we don't have to. And and this is, I think, where so much overthinking and anxiety comes from is we think we need to figure out the next thought we're going to have or the next thing to do. And it just, it just gets our minds so caught up and so busy, you know, but if you can know you have always figured out an overflowing toilet, you have always shown up for the podcast better or worse and just done something that makes sense, you know? So it's huge to have that off of us. And, and I think as we say this, it it can sound again, like this is some giant thing, like your life is going to be like, this is about going about life in a totally different way. And in some ways it is, but also it's not all we're really saying is like, just be curious about that. You know, just, just notice the next thought that you have after you listen to this episode about what you're going to do next. Did you put that thought there? Did you, are you really pulling the strings or is stuff just showing up for you that makes sense that then you're acting on? How long did it take for you to start consistently seeing your thoughts differently or for your behavior to change or anxiety to lessen? And how did you stay consistent with moving towards that? It's an ongoing thing. It's deepening all the time and I'm not really doing anything to make it happen except I guess, and again, I don't even know that this does anything, but staying kind of in curious about all this, staying in this conversation. So, so for me, when I came across all this, it was really like my, I was caught up in binge eating and bulimia. And that was the main thing that I wanted to see something around. And, and by seeing that my mind was just telling me that I wanted to do these behaviors, but that that was just a machine that had been conditioned to tell me to do those behaviors. That's it. It was no different than like having hiccups where like you just have these reflexes. My brain just had these reflexes that said binge, purge, you know, all these commands, but that I, that those weren't my desires, that I didn't have to listen to all that. I saw something in that very quickly. Now, my behavior didn't instantly change overnight by any means. It was, I don't even remember, several months, I would say, of it looking different, feeling different, me feeling like I don't have to just follow through and all of that. Within a few months, within several months, it was, it was markedly different. And same with anxiety and other things, I guess. But that aside, I mean, so those are kind of some specific behavioral things, I think. And that's, that's almost like a, cherry on top when I think about it now. So yes, my habits, my anxiety, those all fell away. But what's happened in the 11 or so years since then is an ongoing kind of just series of insights, I guess. I mean, really like, wow, this is really just all thought. Our mind really is just talking all the time. And, and when I'm not so caught up in that, it's like there's this whole other world available that I would have never known about that it's available to all of us. Just a little more freedom, like just a, just, just a little bit of being able to be curious about what's there beyond this constant narration and that exploring that. And just, I don't know, I don't even know the words don't really do it, but 
touching that space, just kind of not listening to all my insecure thoughts so much. That's made way for for just a, a ton of change that I I'm not even necessarily aware of. I mean, I know my relationships are different. I'm positive that my parenting is different than it would have been, you know, just all kinds of little ways that that's shown up. I was wondering if you could tell listeners, reminded me when you're talking about the binge eating and everything that you went through, you talk about the example in the book about how we make our triggers and cues and habits really personal. And you talk about sort of like a refrigerator light coming on when we open the refrigerator. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. I thought that was such a great analogy. It's like, I think I was talking about like those refrigerator lights probably better, but like in the grocery store, like those freezer lights, right? So to be energy efficient, the aisle's dark until you start to walk down the aisle and it detects your motion and all the lights come on. And, and it just really struck me as like, wow, that's how, that's how our brain works. You know, like our brain has so much to do, so much really, really important stuff to do. And it, and it takes in so much information and it just needs a lot of shortcuts. So in that way, it takes a lot of shortcuts and it sacrifices accuracy for like perceived certainty and predictive value. You know, so our brain just wants to know what's coming, what's going to happen. And it does that because that's how it's evolved. That's how it's kept us alive. You know, back in the day, there really were true threats around every corner. So the brains that were very sensitive to what might go wrong are the brains that survived because people could find, you know, see when an animal was lunging at them to eat them or when they were about to starve and they could remedy that situation and pass on their genes. So what we have now, 200,000 years later, is a bunch of people in a very, very safe external world, for the most part, with brains that are still always looking for what might go wrong. So so our brain is just always kind of trying to connect dots and predict things and make connections. And it often sacrifices accuracy to do that. So it's a little bit like when you walk down that aisle and all the lights come on, that's just a system. It's, a, it's an efficient system. And those lights aren't coming on because you're there, like you personally. It's not like, oh, here's Melanie, turn on like extra bright <laughs> or like, you know, shine on this. This is what she wants to buy. It's, they're not telling us that we should be there. They're not telling us what we should buy or, you know, it's, it's just an efficient system that we don't take personally. And so is our brain. It's just an efficient system, but we do take it personally, you know? So all of these connections and stories and all of this meaning comes up and, and it's just our mind trying to be, you know, like coherent and make sense of things for us. But it's so incredibly helpful to see that it's not always accurate. I love that so much. Cause like with the refrigerator lights coming on, they are coming on because we're there and that's the reason they're on, but the lights, like they don't know that it's like us specifically, like, like you said, it's just programming. And so it's sort of like when we are engaging in a habit or something, if we keep like doing this one thing with a habit, we may think it's really personal and says a lot about us and that it can't be changed when really like, you know, like you said, it's, it's just programming and it could be changed. Like you could reprogram the lights not to come on at the grocery store, or you could program them to come on blue or 
pink and it's like not, it's not final. <laughs> it doesn't have to like mean anything. So I just thought that was incredible. I'm super curious. Do you have multiple kids or what kids? I have two, uh, nine and 11. What do you teach them about all of this as far as their thoughts and their mind? It's really interesting. I mean, I think they're getting to, to that age where they're starting to get a little bit more caught up in some stuff. Until recently, they really weren't. And and in a lot of ways, they still aren't. So in, in a way, like kids sort of know everything we're talking about. They don't know that they know it, but they just live by it. You know, if you look at little kids, like even when their mind is kind of repeating something over and over again, they don't have that tendency to make everything personal and to try to find meaning in it and to try to prevent it quite as much as adults do. So kids just tend to kind of live in this place. Now, by nine and 11, you know, they are getting to, to a place where they can overthink and believe their thoughts and all that. But yeah, I don't know. It's been, it's been relatively easy to just kind of help them see like, that's just what, that's just what a mind does, you know, to help them see that's not you. I was so proud of my daughter. She's 11. Yesterday we were in the car and we we're listening to this interview of someone who was talking about being really anxious and being on, on drugs for medication for anxiety and depression. And I had some opinions about that, that I shared with her. And he was saying, Oh, well, I just knew I had to be medicated and all of this because I got this job. And when I would go up the elevator to my job, my heart would be pounding out of my chest and I just couldn't think straight. And his conclusion, this guy's conclusion was that he obviously has some serious issues that shouldn't be happening. And it was funny because Willow was in the backseat before I even commented on it at all. And she was like, hello, that's just called being nervous, dude. (laughs) But that just was like, oh, okay, good. Like there's not that instant tendency to make everything a problem. It's like we feel stuff. We feel every human feels stuff and then it goes away and it doesn't mean anything about us. I think you talk about this in the book as well, like the physical manifestation of what some people might call anxiety could also be the exact same physical manifestation as excitement or like the literal feeling could be the same. It's just how we interpret it. And you talk about like pain and how pain is technically just like heat and pressure. Ever since I read that, I've been like, every time I've had experienced pain, I'm like, oh, (laughs) I've like thought about it. I'm like, oh, is this really just, you know, heat and pressure interpreted as pain? Yeah. Isn't that cool? I love that. I mean, so yeah. So pain is just heat and pressure. Plus usually if we are experiencing it as pain, plus a mind that comes in and says, oh no, is this going to get worse? What's going on here? You know, that's what we feel as pain. It's not even, yeah, yes, there's physical stuff, but for it to be pain and for sure, for it to be something we might call suffering, there's a lot of thinking. And that thinking is all opinionated and resisting. And that's just stuff we learn, you know, it's just stuff we learn and pick up over the, over the years. And same with emotion. Like you said, I mean, there's, it's just energy. Like emotion is just this amazing flow of energy through us where the energy maybe picks up a little bit or in the case of what we might call sadness or depression, it slows down a little bit. That's just energy. But then our mind comes in because it needs to make sense of everything because it loves us. And this is how it thinks it's keeping us alive. It comes in and tells a story about it. And it says, Ooh, you're really depressed. 
And by the way, you've been depressed longer. You felt this way longer than the normal, the average person. So you probably have a problem or you're really anxious and this should, should have stopped by now. And if we can just start to sense the difference between just feeling life and then feeling a very opinionated, concept-oriented, right or wrong, good or bad mind talking about life. I mean, it's, it's huge. Like one of the things I really struggle with is I've definitely identified or working on identifying the, the part of my mind that tells a story to try to keep me safe and try to keep me productive and try to keep me on point. And it's hard because sometimes I, I really truly feel that it is that voice that has brought me to where I am today. Like going back to like the type A personality or like the perfectionist tendencies, I see that and I'm like, well, that's what's led me here. So the idea of not accepting that story or seeing beyond it is is really, really hard. Like, what do you say to people when the voice may manifest different ways? You know, either, you know, saying you're depressed or being hard on you compared to you know, a perfectionist tendency or like there's all these different narrators that there can be. I think it's just interesting, again, to sort of be curious about what we think causes what. So again, this is just something our brain does. It it makes a cause and effect model for everything. It says, I've succeeded in life because of these traits and because of these circumstances and all of that. And I hope if there's one thing the book does, it's to kind of help people be a little suspicious of their mind's conclusions about these things, because it's, you know, it's just operating on very limited information, very biased information that we're, that we have conscious awareness of. And it passes it off as certain all the time. Like for sure, if I wasn't type A and I wasn't a perfectionist, these wonderful things wouldn't be part of my life. And we can't really know that, but, but to take it, even a little further, I think. I mean, it, it's interesting to to wonder, what if we've succeeded in life to the extent that we have, not because of any kind of pain or suffering or toughness or anything like that, but despite it? Like, what if you would have a lot more <laughs> if you if you weren't so perfectionistic? And now, I'm, I don't know how we'd study this. I don't think we can, but it's a really, really interesting thing to just be curious about because it just kind of starts to open you up to the other side of things so that you're not confirming your, your worries and your perfectionism all the time. What if from a really relaxed mind, you know, that isn't on you all the time, what if you just naturally have hunches and ideas and a ton of creativity that you would, of course, follow. You would, of course, follow a lot of that just out of pure joy and interest. And and then what if you have this narrator in there that says, nope, you need me to do this for you. So let's make it scary and let's put some stuff on the line and let's make sure you get this done. But I don't know, maybe that maybe that gets in the way more than it's actually helped. That's a huge revelation. Question about the worries and the ruminations and the fears. And maybe this taps into things like trauma. So a lot of our our worries and our ruminations are anticipations of things that usually don't come to pass, you know, a large part of the time. Like it's all these imagined fears. But what happens when it does? And I can't believe the timing of this. 
I was a little bit distressed about it, but now I'm realizing how completely perfect it is for this conversation right now. (laughs) So one of my fears is, so, so with my teeth, I have some veneers. I really like my teeth with the veneers, but I've had this ongoing fear that, you know, if it falls off, like then you like basically won't have a tooth. And you know, like one of the most common nightmares that people have is their teeth falling out. So last night, one of my veneers fell off, like when I was eating, came out and I (laughs) was freaking out. So it's out right now. Like I don't, it's not in right now. So right now I'm existing in this state of literally my fear coming true of my tooth basically falling out. What's really, really interesting about this whole experience right now. So I have the appointment tomorrow with a dentist. Like it's all going to be fixed tomorrow at one o'clock. I will be at the dentist. We will get the veneer put back on. It's all going to be okay. My mind, all it has been saying ever since it happened, even in the background a little bit right now, and I'm sure up until tomorrow, it's just like fixated on it. And it's just it's just on like repeat, like this is the worst thing that could ever happen. And it's happening right now. And it's just so terrible. And so it's really interesting to experience it right now because it's really hard. And so then I feel like I don't know what that says about what happens when the thing you worry about does happen. And then it is bad. And then even if it is going to be resolved, I still hear the voice saying the thing. That was like a whole meandering story. But basically when our fears do materialize, how can we healthfully engage with that process? Well, it's such a good example. I mean, so what do you see about the conversation that your mind has been having since this happened? And that and that it will have, as you said, you you can be pretty you feel like you are pretty confident that it's going to happen until two o'clock or whenever the process is done. <laughs> like your mind's going to just talk about this and then it won't. So what do you see about that? It is a lot of what I would call worry and anxiety, but I see it happening and I know that it's, it doesn't matter in a way. I really see the brain on repeat, like running this program. And oh, and and that's the thing is sometimes we don't like experiencing unpleasant feelings. So I see my brain running this program. It's an unpleasant program. I don't know how to turn it off. I'm just sort of watching it, not really liking it, not really knowing where to go from here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, does it have, valuable information for you? Yeah. Well, I guess it's saying that these things that I worry about, they actually can happen. Like I thought they could, but at least they'll be fixed if they do happen. (laughs) But if they do happen, it won't be pleasant. But at the same time, it's still going to be okay in the end. Or maybe that's my view of it. I mean, that's a lot of story. That And that's not needed or valuable information. The the fact of the matter, like you said, is that it happened and you're getting it fixed tomorrow at one o'clock and then it's going to be fine. Like that's the truth of it. That is the truth of it. Even if, if the dentist is sick and they say we have to push it to next week, fine, then you'll get it fixed next week. Like it, it's not about this outcome. It's not a, the information that it's telling you now, like what you just said, I know that feels like it's, it's kind of valuable or semi-true or whatever, but it, it's just a conversation that's completely redundant and irrelevant. It has nothing to do with life. This repetitive conversation about how this happened and oh my gosh, and what it means and what about next time and here's the lesson to learn and all of that. It's just 
it's just a mind talking to itself. And I know this sounds crazy, but this is exactly what minds do. Like they just, they talk. It's like you're already reaching for your sweater and your mind says, ooh, it's cold in here. That is just a a machine kind of comforting itself by the sound of its own voice. It's rehashing things. It's trying to, to find some sense of certainty and like, it's okay. We have a plan. Meanwhile, you already have the plan. The appointment is set. It's done and over with. So like there's, I just, just consider that there's absolutely nothing relevant or helpful or necessary or valuable in that conversation. It's just a machine doing what that machine does. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment. And they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon. Or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off. And that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. So we just watch the machine or like let it run. Do we try to turn it off? I wouldn't recommend it because I don't think it has an off switch. <laughs> uh, good luck. I don't think that's going to work. So no, I don't. You don't try to turn it off, and and you can watch it or not watch it. Like right now, you've lost you've lost it in the back of your mind while we've been talking. I'm sure, and then it pops back to the forefront when your tongue feels the hole in your mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it just it has a life of its own, and it's and it's nothing we need to try to manage or do anything with. It's just seeing, oh my gosh, this is such what that machine would do. It just wants to talk and talk and talk about stuff that's done. So it's interesting to see that when this happened, when your veneer fell out, you didn't need your mind to tell you, okay, here's the plan. I mean, you just called the dentist, right? Like you didn't need your mind to make up a strategy for you. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it repeated it many times, probably changed it along the way. But meanwhile, like something just occurred to you, like, okay, here's what happened. Call the dentist. Done. And I'm in a way sort of grateful it's happening because it does make it so obvious that programming and that story that's running. Because I think when it's like your daily life and like a chronic anxiety and and little things, it can be a little bit harder, at least for me, to to realize it or to pick it out or to see it more. But when it's something so present, <laughs> I really see it. I think that's so true. And that's that's such a huge point that most of the time, you know, our minds just having all these conversations and we're 
like I say in the book, like we're a fish in water where the fish is like, what's water? I'm just hanging out in life. Like we, we, it's so, it's so present that we are completely blind to it. But in a case like this, you get to see it over and over and you, you really feel the dramatic, repetitive nature of it. Meanwhile, there's nothing to do. You just live in your life and you just show up at one and it'll be fixed. There's nothing you need, but it will just talk about it like crazy. Yep. It really was perfect timing for this, for this show. Can you imagine like just having that talking exactly like it is, it not changing at all, but just really kind of knowing and, and like you don't have to be there or anything. I'm just curious to just play this out. Like if you could hear all that, and just sort of be like, oh my gosh, there it goes again. You know, like, can you sa- kind of like just sense what that would feel like if it was just this repetitive background noise? Or like laughing at it. Like, oh, isn't that funny? I find humor very freeing. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, you again, the appointment's made. I got it. <laughs> this is taken care of, but you need to rehash it again. That That is very helpful. <laughs> I'm going to be implementing that all the way up until it. And so something that you touched on a little bit earlier is you were talking about the, like the amazing potential once you do have this insight and this revelation about your mind and, you know, what's beyond that. So what is beyond that? So like, like what is us? Like what is our, our baseline? So when we remove, I don't know if we remove it, but beyond this, the thoughts and the brain and and the story, what is there? It's indescribable. It's really hard to talk about. In my words, don't really matter. It's kind of one of those things that we can all sort of get a sense of it ourselves and that's what will help. But I'll say like, to me, it just feels like, you know, we're, we're looking at the space before words, before language, before judgment before good and bad. I like it. I don't like it. This should happen. This shouldn't happen. So before all that, before there are separate identities, like I'm me, you're you, us and them, before all that garbage, because that's all created from a mind. That's all, every bit of that is mind made. There is no inherent, like, I like it. I don't like it. Good, bad. That's all coming from a mind. So before all that, I mean, it just feels to me like this pure potential, kind of this space of everything, but also nothing like no thing because there's no language. So we don't know what things are. They don't have words and labels yet, but, but like sort of that infinite potential that, that anything can be born of in any moment, you know? And I think I think that is us. I think every single one of us listening has had multiple, multiple glimpses of this. And maybe they're tiny and maybe they just last for a second, but but they're just they're just what happens. Like when your mind just kind of stops moving to the front, to the foreground for a minute, when it just kind of falls quiet for a minute, when when you just feel really peaceful or grateful or content for no reason not because something just happened or you got good news or, you know, just, just a moment of that. That is, is what is there for us all the time. It's who and what we are. And it is, we are swimming in that. Like we cannot be separated from that ever. 
everything we're ever looking for is that. And then we just have this machine that's always talking. And because it's easier to focus on a machine that's always talking than it is this field of nothing and everything, you know, like something with no words and labels, like we, we just get really preoccupied with the machine as if that's us. Whenever I perceive that I am experiencing that state, I feel like I really struggle with something you talk about, which is secondary emotions. I always get really sad, actually, because I think I could be feeling like this all the time because it it feels like something that was always there. And then just when the anxieties are gone or the fears or the ruminations, it's like, oh, this was actually always there. Like, (laughs) like Dorothy, you know, always in your own backyard. And then my, my secondary emotion that I usually experience is sadness because I think, oh, I wish I could always be like this. That's your mind coming in to fill space, just like it's doing right now. Your tooth issue's taken care of, it's in the books, but your mind wants to still talk about it. It's just like a dog chewing a bone. It wants to just take up space and kind of keep making extra sure that everything's under control. So that's exactly what that is. And it's very, very common when we get these really quiet little deep glimpses. Sometimes the boomerang effect feels horrible because your mind will jump in with all kinds of stuff. Just like you said, very, very common, but just, we can just see that, you know, I think a lot of times what I see in people I work with long-term, like they'll, their minds will do that. They'll, they'll fall into that space more and more and realize that that reality is there all the time, but then their mind will just berate them. And, you know, just, just like you mentioned, and, and it's, it's really easy to kind of hear that and be like, Oh God, you know, it's back. And I knew I, I knew I couldn't really hang out in that space. And, but, but we just want to keep seeing that's just more of the same thing. That's just what a mind does. It just, it doesn't like to stay quiet for long, but and we don't have to quiet it, the more we can kind of just invite it in and be like, oh, okay, you know, you're, you're speaking up again. It, it loses so much of its power because we're not resisting it. We're not making a big deal out of it. It can't really ruin anything for us. It's just back there talking. Like, so, you know, this space beyond everything, what is the role of like wholeness versus avoid and the concept of lack? Are we all whole and okay? And what is what we perceive as, as lacking? Can we actually lack anything? I don't think so. I mean, yes, the way I see it is exactly what you said, that there can't be people with different human design, like fundamentally human designs than other people. I can't see how that could be possible, right? So let's just say we all, all human beings are made of the same stuff. We all have the same design. And I think that is like, at our essence, we have everything we need. There are no mistakes. There are no things wrong, even, you know, that everything is perfect. We are whole. It's all there. And then we all have this incredible gift, this incredible ability to to experience ourselves as separate and different. That's what a brain does. That's, that is... That is what we have that like trees don't have. You know, I don't know the experience of a tree, but like tree is just nature. It's clearly just being lived and it doesn't have a brain to tell it otherwise. We are clear in my view, we are nature, literally nature, not like nature, but we are nature. 
we are literally being lived just like that tree is. And we also happen to have a brain that gives us an experience of being separate from each other and, and having all kinds of dualistic, good, bad, black, white, living, dying, like all of these concepts and experiences of all of them. And that's beautiful. I mean, it gives us the human experience that we have, but it's the function of a brain. So in my view, it's like, it's not, it's not the big, big truth of things. It's, it's what we get by having a brain. And so it's going to be our experience because we're always going to have a brain. But how amazing to sort of know, oh, that's a function of a brain. A brain creates the illusion of separation. A brain creates the illusion of lacking, which is just thought about lacking. It's just a thought. I don't have enough. That's it. Or I'm not enough or whatever. You know, like we're going to have those experiences, but they're just brain created. They're not the bigger truth of things. I loved your take in the book on things like relationships. And so people who um, identify, like this is one of my my good friends. We've been talking a lot about this. Oh, and I keep telling her how she needs to read this book. I'm so excited for her. I really wanted her to read the relationship part of your book because you were talking about how relationships can't give us anything that we didn't already have. We aren't lacking anything that a relationship has to give us. But I do think a lot of people perceive that they have like this hole in their heart or that they're, you know, trying to fill something with another person or with a relationship. So what do you think is going on there? Like when people sense that they're trying to fill something? Really, really simply, I think we're just thinking. It looks that simple to me. When our mind is at ease, we don't we don't sit around in this really natural, relaxed, at ease place and say, man, I sure need to fill that hole in my heart. And I really absolutely need another person. And like that comes when our mind starts talking. And and it's, you know, again, it's just this conversation of our brain looking out at the world as if it's a separate thing out there saying, I'm not enough as I am, or I don't like a feeling that's showing up. So what can I add or bring in or do in order to make this feeling go away? So would that also be like feelings of loneliness? It's just our brain talking? Yeah, because I mean, loneliness has nothing to do with being alone, right? I mean, I love being alone. And sometimes and sometimes I feel really lonely being alone. And I think we all have that experience of sometimes feeling really lonely being with people. I mean, that's like the worst is if you're in a not good relationship and you feel very lonely in that relationship, you're not alone, but your mind is wanting something other than a different feeling than what you have. And it's telling a story about how to get that. So there's a feeling there that our mind says, Ooh, I don't like this one. It means blah, 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 whatever. Here's how we'll fix it. You know, like it means this is not the relationship for me and no one understands me. And it goes into its big story. And then it creates a big fantasy of, oh, if I just meet the right person who really is my partner, they will always understand me and I'll never have to feel this again. Like that is just what a mind would do. But we can, we can kind of, we don't have to pick through those stories. You know, we don't have to analyze those stories or anything. We can kind of, kind of just see, oh, that has to be a story because there are moments when nothing changes in my life in the outside world, nothing has changed. And yet I feel perfectly whole and content. 
And then there are moments when nothing has changed when I don't. This is the thing. It's so, our eyes point out at this very complex physical world and our brains are always trying to tell stories about things to make meaning. And so when we feel a certain way and our eyes are looking outward, our mind will always find a reason out there for why we feel the way we do, but they're not accurate. Things out there like can't make us feel anything. So we end up with these huge elaborate stories about why we feel the way we do and what we need to fix it. And, and it's just, it, we don't have to perfectly see through that all the time, but it's just so good to have even a little bit of a sense of, oh, if I suddenly feel lacking or lost or horrible, that has to be my mind doing that because beyond my mind, that's not a, that's not there. It's not a reality. Yeah, I think for me, the the story that happens with relationships is because I've always been really independent, not usually in romantic relationships, at least. So I don't feel like I'm lacking anything. But if I engage in a relationship with somebody, I have a severe fear of losing it because then it's like I lost something. Then it's like I'm lacking something that I wanted that I could have never lacked in the first place if I never engaged in it. (laughs) It's kind of like, I guess it's the whole idea of like attachments maybe. I don't know. But I guess in the end, it's all just, like you said, it's all just stories. (laughs) It's all just the mind doing what it does. It has to be, right? I mean, you could have any experience in the world of being with someone, of being separated from someone there is no inherent experience of a breakup or anything like that. We, we just feel what our mind is talking about moment to moment, you know? So, so, but when it feels like, again, when it, when it looks like it's the outside circumstance making us feel that way, then of course, we're going to start to want to avoid that outside circumstance. And that's unfortunately where our, our world starts to get small, where we start to feel like, oh, I'm, I'm holding myself back from these relationships or this thing over here or that thing over there, because I'm afraid of how I might feel. I'm afraid of some energy and a story. It's just really interesting that you could see two people in a room. And if you have some sort of history or context with one person, it can create an entire state or feeling or energy or story in yourself compared to this other person who is a quote stranger if you step back, it's three people in a room, like nothing is affecting anybody really. (laughs) Like, it's like, it makes you really question like, what is reality? Yeah. Isn't that great? No, that's so good to see. I mean, really it is. It's, and yeah, it's almost like reality is always changing. There's 8 billion realities and they're always changing because it's being created in our own mind, (laughs) you know, like, That's so, so big to see that. Like there's nothing actually happening here, but man, there's a mind in there given all kinds of meaning and story to, to what's not happening. Or like if I can be angry and then in the next second, not be angry or be anxious and then not be anxious, or then I can't actually be any of those things. No. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I was wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit about the Golden Buddha story. It's a story of this this statue of the Buddha that was in Thailand, I believe, that was made of pure solid gold. It's a true story, by the way. Made of pure solid gold. This is, I don't know, like 
15th century or something, a long time ago. And Thailand was being invaded. I'm no historian. I think it was Burma <laughs> by Burma. The details are important. But to try to try to save this solid gold Buddha from the invaders, they covered it up with all kinds of junk, like glass and dirt and like like really big, like caked on mud and all of that kind of stuff. So it just looked like this boring old statue. And of course, no one cared about it or wanted it. They wanted more valuable things. And so it's just stayed. And then everyone who, I guess, apparently who had covered it up kind of just slowly died over the years and never told anyone. So thousands of years later, this statue was still sitting around and someone was kind of scratching at it one day and flaked off a bunch of junk and found that it was solid gold beneath that. And, and it's just a metaphor for kind of what you were asking earlier about like, what's there? Who are we beyond all this stuff? You know, I think it's, it's really good to see that we've, we grow up and our minds just gather identities and traits and I'm the kind of person who and this is how I am and this is my personality and this is what I like and what I don't like and that's all great I mean again it's just our mind trying to help give us some sense of certainty and identity to to help us feel stable and secure in the world but but it's as solid as some mud <laughs> like you know it's great to experience all that but but to not have it caked on to us to the point where we forget or lose sight of what's really there beyond it. That is so incredible. Question about that with the root source and the labels and the personalities. And actually this goes into, okay, so there's like anxiety and depression and all these different labels that we use. Are there though some personality disorders that are exceptions? Like, you know, if people have actual personality disorders or like narcissism, like sociopaths or something. Like, how do you feel about the spectrum of mental health conditions that people might be labeled with? I think they're all thought, really. I mean, I don't see anyone being born a sociopath, although for sure there are temperaments and there are things that there are, are things that seem to appear at a very early age and that maybe they are part of someone's genetics. But I guess the thing is, it's all, like you said, it's all kind of on a spectrum. And I think that if we can see that, you know, at the one end, we might have something like a little mild anxiety, a little mild depression or something. We can see more easily with something like that, that yes, when a person is feeling all kinds of thinking and feeling, and then when they come in on top of it and think, oh my gosh, it's back. And I'm stuck and here I am and this is me. We're just going to magnify it. It's just going to be experienced as solid and real and personal. But when that same person's mind settles down, they laugh at a joke or they smile at something or they have little moments in their day when they don't feel so depressed or anxious. So in a case like that, you can kind of see how, like I use the weather metaphors a lot, how it's like just a lot of cloud cover. And it might be such thick cloud cover that they cannot see through it for a period of time, but that doesn't mean that that's who they are. There's always a through it to see, you know, there's always a blue sky beyond the clouds. And I truly believe that even with things like sociopaths and bipolar and, you know, those things that narcissism that feel a lot more sticky, that that is, that is the case there as well. It's just that the cloud cover really does tend to be sometimes a lot thicker and that that person is just 
seeing through thought in the moment. And sometimes thought in the moment moves quickly and we can we can kind of find our way to not taking it so seriously. And sometimes we are really, really misidentified with it. It just looks like how it is and how we are. And I, I think that's kind of what's happening and what looks like those exceptions or more extreme cases. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the U.S. is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the sky weather example because you talked about that in the little book of Big Change as well. And that that has stuck with me like to this day, you know, that idea that most of we don't usually think about this, but like literally every day is the same. Like the sky is the same. <laughs> it's so mind-blowing to think about, but it's really just clouds and the weather that's changing. What have been some of the examples of your people that you've worked with, with your patients who have like different things they've tackled with this insight? I mean, <laughs> everything from, you know, a lot of habits and addictions, a lot of anxiety in any, in any kind of shape or form. And there are tons of shapes and forms that anxiety can take. Relationship patterns, kind of like some of the stuff we're talking about where you, or or like what I wrote about in some of my stuff where I, you know, from one little episode that happened when I was nine, kind of concluded, okay, no one cares about me. No one cares what I have to say. I have no ability to have, you know, have any power in this life. So from that belief forming in a moment, it's like, it just keeps getting confirmed and confirmed and confirmed because that's just what our brain does. It just finds confirming evidence for what it already believes. So there's so many things like that. I think that's at the core of all of it. We think we're anxious. We we have this habit, we say, which is really holding on to it in a sense. We think this is the kind of person we are. This is our personality. And for all of those and truly anything that people are up against, when they kind of just start to be curious about, hey, what if this isn't something I am or I have? But what if this is just the way life is showing up through me? What if your sky, like you don't have gray sky if you live in Seattle, 
it's just the way the weather tends to show up there. And sometimes it doesn't. I mean, it sounds too simple to be helpful, I think, as I say it. But honestly, it is that it is so simple. If we can just be with that with anything that's moving through us, our experience is designed to move. We cannot be stuck in it. We can feel stuck, but we're not stuck. It is always changing, always moving. That goes for every habitual thought we have, every judgment we have, all of what we call our personality. I mean, it's in motion. So even just a little sense of that being pretty fluid and always moving just makes way for like huge lifelong things like this to to start to look different and fall away. Well, yeah, speaking to that, as far as like, it sounds so simple, and I think you might've talked about this in the book, but it's sort of like, I feel if you're playing like a video game or something, and if you didn't, if you didn't know it was a video game, like if you thought it was real life, like that would have a lot of implications about your experience of the video game. But if you know it's a video game, you still play it the same way. Like you still you still have to engage in the actions and do the challenges and whatever, you know, whatever the video game is, but your experience of it would be completely different if you knew it was a game. Yeah. And that's exactly, it's exactly what I think is so powerful here. It's exactly what we're doing. You're not going to shut off your brain. It's going to talk about whatever it wants to talk about on repeat. But when you know that that's just what minds do, it's just not the same. You know, it's like when we can know that everything that we experience in in this life is energy and then our mind trying to explain it we just tend to get so much less caught up in it it looks less personal less solid and and it frees us up i mean it really frees us up to go out in life and do things try things you know that we wouldn't otherwise try because we can't get it wrong like the worst that's going to happen is we feel some energy and our mind gives us some thoughts we don't like. And then that changes. Honestly, that's the worst I can see that is that can possibly happen in life is we have a feeling we don't like and then that feeling changes. Yeah, now I'm just thinking because you were talking about how for you, you know, you had this one thought in childhood that got intensified and repeated and confirmed and grew into this whole thing. And, and you talk about that in the book, like how it's so interesting that we can have a single thought at one time that could have been interpreted so many different ways, but because it's interpreted a certain way that it, you know, becomes this whole thing. For me, I have like this one single thought that (laughs) I call it my Achilles heel that I've had for a while. I've always thought to, well, I guess, you know, the dream version of me, I'm like, oh, if I just didn't have this thought, if it just wasn't there, then things could be so different. Like maybe would it be more fruitful to just accept that that thought is there, but that the thought doesn't mean anything? Yeah. I mean, to see, just to see it. Yes, exactly. To see it for what it is. Like it may not go away, but what if you could be free with it instead of free from it? I mean, it's just a thought. Like you even say, like even just that, I know you, you even say though, it's like, it's my Achilles heel. It's an old thing. Like that's, I think, kind of the point of, of having these stories that show us like, wow, look at how this happens. It happens to everyone. Our mind just assigns meaning to something that happened and it grabs onto these thoughts because they look like they're going to be helpful or protective. 
And then we grow up and go through life and we see just how limiting that thing is that maybe it did protect us or it felt like it did for a very short period of time. But before we know it, that thing that was quote unquote protection is now limiting and holding us back. And, you know, it's not that it's not going to come up. Your brain loves you too much. It's going to remember it's very smart. It's going to keep bringing that up. But if you don't believe it, I mean, the more you just really, I know those are just words, but like when we really kind of come to see, oh, this is, this is the, the freezer lights, the refrigerator lights going on just because I opened the fridge. It doesn't mean anything about what I'm supposed to do or not do. It's just that. That's where I think we can really be free with it. That's so freeing because I think it, there can be so much focus and effort on trying to like eradicate the thought or forget the thought or not experience the thought or reconceptualize or remove. But it's such a brilliant title. But if we just say it's just a thought, you don't have to really do any of that. Yeah, it does that by itself. When we're, when we're not busy trying to change it, it changes. <laughs> That's the irony. I mean, honestly, that is the irony. Like when we aren't trying so hard to do all this stuff with our experience to make it more ma- manageable, it just changes on its own. So what role does willpower play? Because, you know, the, the subtitle to your book is a no willpower approach. Does it require willpower to do all of this or not? I think it doesn't require a lick of willpower. (laughs) Yeah, because again, think about why. Like it's because when we see things differently, there's nothing to manage. It's exactly like that's a perfect question on the heels of your last, what we were just were talking about, because it's like this thought, whatever your thought is, it might be there. Let's just assume it's going to be there your entire life. You've already done a lot of stuff to try to make it go away, I'm sure, or to try to convince yourself of it, that it's not true or whatever. And obviously none of that has worked. So why don't you just say, hey, come on in, thought. You're just a thought. You don't mean anything. Like when we, but when, but again, don't, we don't want to make that a strategy either. So I'm not saying like the strategy is we welcome everything. There is no strategy, but it's truly, truly just seeing it for what it is that that just strips it of its power. So there's no no willpower needed. So how do you feel about mantras? The reason I'm asking that is like, if we had a mantra to encapsulate all of this, what would it be? But I don't know if, like would mantras be seen as like a uh, an exercise or a tool? I think anything like that is great if people love it. And if it feels helpful, but the problem, you know, with exercises and tools is like, we start to, our mind turns them into the end result. A thing. Yeah. Like the thing. Exactly. So, so yeah, a mantra is very quickly going to be unhelpful if it looks like, oh crap, I forgot to say my mantra. Or if it looks like, oh my gosh, I have to say this and then I'm going to feel a certain way. That's crazy. It's never going to work that way. But you know, if you feel good when you say it, why not? But then if you forget for a month, don't worry about it because it wasn't really, it's not really the cause of anything anyway. Yeah. Actually, how do you feel about meditation? Again, I think personally, I don't formally meditate, but I feel meditative, if that makes sense, a lot more than I used to just by knowing kind of what we're talking about. I mean, my mind does exactly what yours does, Melanie. Like I have certain things if I, and and it's funny that you mentioned that because I, uh, 
not to bring it back up for you, but I have, I have tooth issues and I have lots of dreams about losing teeth like all the time. Oh my goodness. Right there with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so a hundred percent, I ch- I grind my teeth a little bit. So if I chip a tooth, yes, or something like that, I mean, my mind will just talk about it nonstop. It's kind of weird. It's almost like I can, f- I don't want to make this sound like I'm crazy Buddha like special, but like sometimes I can almost feel really peaceful even while my mind is doing that. It feels meditative while my mind is sitting there talking about what might go wrong with my tooth or when it's going to get fixed or whatever, you know? So that's what I think is amazing. It's not this practice of sitting down and doing something. It's more like having this sense that we aren't our thinking and just not worrying about what it says. It, it naturally kind of moves it to the background a little bit. And then, and then I think we tend to just feel like we live a more meditative existence without having to sit down and do it. If, if you don't want to do it, if you, if you like it, great. It's almost like, and I was saying this before, when it is something that's such an acute situation, like with my, like with my tooth right now, it really makes me realize that it's a video game, you know? And so then I can step back from it. The reason I asked about the meditation was you were describing the mantras or the, you know, the relationship that some people might begin to experience with mantras. And that was how I felt when I try a concentrated meditation practice and that like I get a lot of benefit from it, but I also, I start seeing it as like, oh, I have to do this to be okay. Or it it becomes like this regimented thing that I think I don't know. I don't think it's best serving me. I've been like seeking how to have the best relationship with something like a meditation practice. I think that's so common. And it's just, again, it's kind of just what a mind would do. Like we start to get a little, we feel kind of good while we're doing something. And then your mind's like, oh, yay, we're going to go full on into this. And, you know, and it just has a way of doing that. So I don't know. I think that's really common. And actually, this is the way I feel about all of the quote, like biohacking things I engage with and health practices. Like I would love to be at a place where I just do all of them because I want to, and because they make me feel better. I don't want to be doing them because I think I have to, or because I'm like not okay without them. This is like something that I've like, I think I and a lot of listeners have probably experienced as a challenge. So was there anything else that you wanted to touch on from the book specifically? What is the main the main thing you're trying to to get out there with this newest book? I think just through all the metaphors and stories and, you know, little facts about how our mind works, just helping someone see, wow, that everybody has a mind that talks in the same ways, does the same things, is up to the same tricks, and that it's really, really, really possible to just see that for what it is. And when we do, we just don't care so much. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a weird goal of like, oh, just don't care so much. But like, we're just so less preoccupied with it. And when we aren't so preoccupied with what our mind is talking about, and we're not believing it so much, like that's, I think, when, when people get really creative and peaceful and new ideas come up and, you know, there's just so much more available to all of us than, than the kind of moment to moment that we tend to be living within. And, and it's 
really closer and easier and simpler to just sort of play with that and experience things in a really different way. Yes. For listeners, I I really, really cannot recommend enough that everybody get just a thought right now. It was just such a freeing experience. And it's, it's so nice because you go through all of these really, you know, concrete specific examples of things we've talked about on this episode, but you know, all of the things that our minds and our brains do. And the more and more we read it and hear it and see it, the more and more easier it is to see it. So it's really, really freeing. So are you running any online courses right now? I am. I'm actually going to be doing a book club for just a thought. So it's going to be great. Yeah. I I made a video that goes with every single chapter in the book where I kind of go a little bit deeper. I talk about some of the backstory and like what was going on as I was writing that chapter, but I also just pull out the themes and kind of go more deeply into what's going on. So that's going to start. The book is, is officially available October 1st and the book club is going to start October 18th. Okay. Awesome. So is that something that listeners register for online? We can put a link in the show notes. Yes. Yep. Okay. Perfect. All right. So for listeners, if they would like to enroll in that online course, which sounds amazing, I'm going to have to do that myself. You can go to the show notes and the show notes will be at melanieavalon.com slash thoughts. And we'll put links to everything there. Amy is so kind. She's actually giving away the introduction and chapter one of the book. Very, very exciting. So completely free. You can get that in the show notes. You can enroll in the course. Any other links that you'd like to put out there, Amy? I mean, that's awesome. Like people can check out my site at dramyjohnson.com if they want. I have a podcast and some other, lots of other resources there, but yeah, that's a lot. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I'm just so grateful. Words cannot express my gratitude for everything that you're doing. I already said this before, but when I first read your book, Little Book of Big Change, it just blew my mind. And the idea of ever talking to you in person and having you on the show was like so exciting. And and now it's happened twice and your new book is incredible. And I just, I really, really can't thank you enough for everything that you're doing, honestly, for humanity. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I've met, I've met a lot of people from my first appearance on your show. And I just love when people reach out, they're like, oh, I heard you on Melanie's podcast. And I just really appreciate your support. I knew when this book came out because I knew you loved the last one. I'm like, oh, I'm going to see if she'll endorse it. So thank you so much for doing that. And just for all your support. It's awesome. For listeners, Amy asked me to endorse it and literally made my life. I was, I'm so, so honored. So all good things. And I'll have to bring you back for part three. Do you have a a third book in the future? I do. I don't know when yet, but it's in my head. It'll, it'll be coming out of my head soon. I hope. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So excited. Okay. We'll have to put that in the books. No pun intended. (laughs) All right. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.